The following message is brought to you by Balsamic. Balsamic decided to support the software social community by donating their sponsored airtime to some of our listeners. This episode is sponsored by Kuti. Kuti helps under 35s in the UK make the most of their money. Kuti's website houses free money management tools, expert guidance, and financial advisors. Kuti's online community is the place to be if you need help with your finances or are a finance expert. Check out their website at www.kudy.co. Thanks again to Balsamic for generously sponsoring our listeners this way. If you'd like to receive a promo code for Balsamic, visit balsamic.com slash go slash software dash social. So you remember a couple of weeks ago how I was reading the Jobs to be Done playbook? Yes, I sure do. I'm still reading that book, but I'm also reading another book. Ooh, and book? I want to talk about that other book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, I finally started reading The Psychology of Money by Morgan Housel, okay. um, which has been on my to-read pile for about, I don't know, about six months or so now um, since it came out early last fall. And... It's such a good book. Like, I mean, even if you're not uh, a finance person or particularly interested in personal finance, like it's a book about money that's not about money and it's hmm. and it's so good. So, but there's this one quote in it that reminded me of stuff that we talk a, a lot about um, together. So I'm just going to read it to you. In a world where intelligence is hyper-competitive and many previous technical skills have become automated, Competitive advantages tilt toward nuanced and soft skills like communication, empathy, and perhaps most of all, flexibility. Hmm. Interesting. And this reminded me a lot of what we talk about because as kind of like we've been talking about as it relates to your business, the one of the like the biggest challenges for you is not the engineering side. It's like knowing when you should, you know, change directions or, or be flexible with, with like what your image of um, what the business and what the product is. And also like communicating with people about what it does and, and what it is and, and pulling that information out of them. And then, and then how do we use empathy to figure all of those things out, which is, which is a really big uh, focus for me. And I, I read this and like, grabbed the nearest writing utensil near me which normally I only write in pencils in books like I will underline things but I only had a pen and I was like this is so amazing I'm gonna underline it in pen because there's (laughs) I'm not gonna regret that like but it just really stuck with me interesting why was that in your psychology of money book oh I mean so I don't know if you've ever read Morgan's writing um but he writes a lot about the sort of psychology of business he's a very different um business writer um and I'm I I used to work with him so I've sort of been been around a lot of his thinking for a while and I'm really uh sort of grateful for that because he has a very unique perspective on things and um you know it's it's not very often that you read in a best-selling business book that the key is empathy right to running a good business (laughs) right um and you and it reminds me a lot of something that I have been working on lately too so um, you know, we, we've talked about like getting people to reply when you are 
trying to talk to them about the reasons why they use your product, which can be difficult. Yeah. And I think I mentioned a couple weeks ago how we, ch- like, so in our NPS survey, like, that that pops up, I think, you know, um, relatively soon after someone uses the product, but not the first time. And it's, you know, just rank us one to 10. And normally we just look at this just to make sure we're getting mostly nines and tens. But then it also has a question that it asks as a follow-up. And that survey and the question have a really high response rate. And we were previously asking, um, what can we do to improve? And I changed this question. First of all, because we were, you know, we're getting a lot of like boosts out of it like people were saying like no you're awesome and like that makes us feel great and like it's feel you know it feels nice um but also we were kind of like asking people to do our work for us by telling us what we should improve and so I changed it instead to what did you use before you used Geocodio and this is just reminding me about how we you know you know competitors at first blush, they seem like other companies, but in so many scenarios, and I think this applies to your business a lot too, um, competitors are people figuring something out for themselves or like some like manual process where they're patching things together. And it is so fascinating to see the variety of responses I get from people and how many of them say nothing, like that they used no tool and that they were like, hunting and pecking or they had something internal or they were like stringing together different solutions i mean our approach to competitors is is so much more like relaxed than it is i think for like the traditional kind of business approach is like you know you should know everything that your competitors are doing and like you know know exactly when they have new features and like be copying their features and everything and i'm like nah dude like i'm gonna talk to my customers because my competitors are all of the time that they spend doing it themselves it's the same, kind of the same thing with my business where a lot of people in the beginning, they were just weren't really doing it or they weren't, you know, they were just, they were just putting like piecemealing kind of half, half usable open source solutions with, with, um, with other things. So, so to your point, like your competitor is really not the other people offering the same service, but, um, what the user was doing before. Yeah, I mean, there's so much space in software to have products that do things that are similar to somebody else's product because so many people are just doing things themselves. So one of the things from that quote you read from the book that I thought was interesting was flexibility. And what do you think that means in a business context? Does that mean pivot? Does that mean let go of your idea that you're super passionate about because it's not working? I think it means both of those things. I mean, if you remember a couple of weeks ago when we were talking about the Adam Grant book I was reading, Think Again, and there was a quote I read from that in that episode, which is talking about the values of taking an experimental approach and how entrepreneurs who were open to experimenting with their idea and like they they had higher revenue. Um, in in the period of of that study that was done. And I don't think it necessarily means like forcing yourself to walk away from something when you're really passionate about it. Um, But being passionate about the problem that you're solving or the people you're solving that problem for and less so your like specific implementation idea of that problem. Because I think like we... I feel like ideas for products have these kind of two parts to them. There's like the problem you're going to solve and then there's the way you're going to solve that problem. And I think 
so often those things are sandwiched together, but if you pull them apart and then you just really focus on like, what is, like, why am I trying to solve this? What, what is that I'm trying to solve? And then there's probably 10 different ways to solve that. Um, and so, you know, you go out and talk to people and figure out what that is and, and not being so anchored to that one specific idea that, you know, came floating down on the cloud from the gods. Um, <laughs> I think that's kind of what I pull from that about flexibility. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I think something too is I've, I've tried to change kind of the content I consume um, from less blog posts. Not that blog posts aren't helpful, but we've talked about how there's also quite a lot that that you know paint unrealistic expectations to more actual books. And something I've noticed about reading these actual books um, is the timeline is longer usually than I would have originally guessed. Like when I first started learning about like bootstrapping and indie hacking when people talked about pivoting for some reason I thought that was like like you do it after two weeks and then I'm reading the lean startup and some other books and they just talk about like you can't you probably shouldn't make big decisions based on 10 customers and you know being in business for two weeks like they talk about these longer term kind of like looking at data over a longer term as opposed to a shorter time frame so I think context really matters there. And, and I'm reminding of another point that Morgan Housel makes in his book is that you need to define the game that you are playing and then only take advice from people who are playing the same game. And I think what that means in this context is that the thing about a lot of business advice is that it's not necessarily written for bootstrappers in mind. Right. right. Like this is That's this is kind point. of what's leading me to like write my own newsletter about customer research right now, because I have all these resources that I send people. But I'm like, but, you know, caveat like this book assumes that you have a multi-million dollar research budget and you can right. hire consultants for it. Like and so it's so I feel like 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 Lean Startup is, is such a um, uh, I think th- there's a lot of things I like about that book and like mm-hmm. concepts. Um, and if you're, you know, a, a 25, 50 500 person company that is thinking about pivoting a product that is what all of your employees are relying on for their salaries then yeah you're you're not going to make any decisions about pivoting that product with like major decisions without six months or you know a a significant pile of data right like right like that you know that would be unwise to just change it on a dime and not having evidence for the change by contrast, if you've only launched something two weeks ago, or if it's a relatively small or like insignificant feature, or if it's just you and you're just trying to figure it out, um, I, I think there's there's more wiggle room for, for changing based on feedback, especially if you have really strong signs that there's something wrong and like what you should do instead. Um, but I think, you know, I think some of those, like those business books are good, like conceptually, but like yeah. on the ground as it relates to the to, to not only the specific situation of being a bootstrapper but also the incentives at play like that's like something that's so different between being a, a company of people versus a one person shop I mean that's the thing we loved about it in the beginning it was like we could just do stuff try stuff like yeah. we could just throw pasta at the wall and see what stuck like and there yeah. was no you know there were no real consequences of that yeah I think I think my context is so I've had, this has been live for about a month that I had, I had like 13 paying customers and about three or four of those churned out. 
And one of the people who actually emailed me back, thank you, thank you, person, um, just said it was too expensive for hmm. what he was doing. And so then, like, this is like feedback from one person. I only have 13 paying customers. <laughs> then I started, I was like, wait, maybe it is too spen- expensive. Could I, could I do a new tier that's cheaper? Should I do that? And I kind of tried to stop myself because I was like, okay, practically speaking, I don't have the time to, to set that all up right now, as we've talked about. Right now is a busy time. And I've literally only been in business for a month. So maybe I should just pause and, you know, get more than 12 playing customers and see, you know, what the churn rates are then. Yeah. And I think something critical that he said was it's too expensive for what he is doing. Yes. And he did say that. And he said it was a small budget e-commerce thing or something. Yeah. Did he tell you more about what he is doing? He did not, unfortunately. I should and have And did asked. he tell you about what he is going to do instead? No. That's a fascinating piece of information. That would be really nice to find out. I should ask him. Because the, the thing I find with like interviews like that, like, I mean, you've learned something valuable from that, which is that... It, less so that he as a person and more that he as someone with this type of use case is not your customer. Right. That it's too, like compared to alternatives, you are too expensive for whatever those alternatives are. So what are those alternatives? And then how I usually take from that is, okay, like more so, less so how do we change our product to make it so he would have stayed? And more so, how do we change our marketing to make sure that we're not speaking to his use case and we instead are like if we can get our happy customers to talk to us what are their use cases and how can we speak to their use cases more so yeah. that we attract more of the would-be happy people and, and attract fewer of the would-be churning people yeah. just based on their use cases yeah and i think you had asked me last week if i was getting a lot of gmail addresses or a lot of company addresses and it's been pretty much a mix but, you know, obviously my ideal customer is a small business, um, not a person, because my price is expensive for a side project, you know? Yeah. I mean, something without any budget is paying right. for anything is always... <laughs> it's always so I, if we can just uh, check in here, since um, everybody always loves numbers, what what are the numbers right now? Just... So they're exactly the same as they were last week. I had two people churn out and two people sign up. So it's like MRR is like $340. But you also, didn't you get your first like check from Heroku this week? Oh yeah, that was so fun. Okay. (laughs) It was so fun because I put this, like you get a notification from Heroku when your app is available for sale and then you set up plans. And, you know, you you decide how much they're going to cost. And then people were signing up and I was super excited. But you have no indication outside of the fact that people are signing up that, like, you're actually going to get paid. So, I mean, I knew I was supposed to get paid, but I kept being like, did I did I for, did I set up the plan wrong? And it's really zero dollars and I'm not going to find out till the end of the month. Like, it was very exciting to get my first check from Heroku because I knew that people were actually paying for it. Um, and plus with Heroku, as I've said, unlike Stripe that pays you up front, like I get paid at the end of the month. So someone signs up March 1st, I don't get paid till the end of March for that particular person. Um, so yeah, that was really exciting. So so how much was the check again? It was like 250, well, okay. It was like 250 bucks, but they take 
So it was like 140 bucks. And then it cost me like 100 bucks just to host it. And then maybe 20 bucks in storage. So I'm net $20. And then I bought a $20 bagel. <laughs> That's my whole month. <laughs> That's what I did. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Um, I'm really curious by how you said that there's no like way to like track the revenue within Heroku or like to see that things are actually. It's just not like real time. Like, okay, I could see that things were working, but they have. So basically, if you go into your add on, they have a revenue graph they'll show you, but it's zero for that whole first month. So I would check my revenue graph and it would be zero. And I, and then I would check my signups and I was like, someone signed up. It shouldn't be zero. And it's just the way they do their accounting. It's not like Stripe that gives you that like real time feedback. Heroku gives you feedback once a month and uh, at the end of the month. So it's not like all exciting where you get to see, oh, real time signups. Um, it's like, wow, I hope they're, I hope they're tracking this properly. <laughs> So I'm kind of, I, I want to dive in a, a little bit on those numbers because you, you said that you had about a hundred dollars a month to host it. And so you, you basically netted, um, $20. Is that right? Yeah. So, something like that. It was like 20 ish. or 30 bucks. Okay. Yeah. So that tells me that you're that, well, I guess my first question before I decide what that means, is that cost going that hosting cost is it going to increase as you get more customers or is it going to decrease as you get more customers it shouldn't change i mean when i set it up i set it up so it's pretty robust um so i've already paid for like the workers and stuff to do all the image posting to the aws and um so that should be pretty flat i mean i'd have to get like a million customers for that to be a problem so your margin should get better from here then? Correct. My cost should not, my storage costs will go up a little bit, but generally speaking, my costs will not go up significantly. So fr- from a sort of, uh, a, I don't know how to describe this, a sort of structural perspective of the business, mm-hmm. that is a very good sign when costs do not increase with the amount of customers you serve. Like that is really good and that's a very unique situation it's one of the reasons why software is so awesome um (laughs) right (laughs) but like you know think like um you know think about like at like a store right like they can only sell as much inventory as they have already purchased and if they have a hundred customers come in like they need to have stuff to serve a hundred customers like they have to buy that right like they have to hold that in inventory Inventory. or if it's a one-to-one relationship like those will all uh, proportionally increase. Now you can have great businesses that that just by virtue of you know the prices they charge and and the volume they have, like the costs do increase. Like so, I'm not saying th- those aren't necessarily good businesses, but it's really amazing when you have a business that can serve a lot of customers and keep the the cost of the goods sold, um, like that flat, like. That is very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do have storage costs, so it's not a, you know, a zero sum game. But yes, unlike having physical goods, it's definitely a better margin than than that. Um, signups have, it feels like signups have slowed down a little bit. Well, it's interesting. So paid signups have slowed down. A lot of people have started entering their email address to do the free trial and then they're bouncing 
when they see that they need to enter a credit card. So that's mm. just an interesting data point. Like I said, I'm not going to change anything this month. Um, but I have noticed that more people are hitting the site and more people are putting in their email addresses, um, but not converting. Well, converting isn't the right word, but not putting in their credit card. Hmm. But I think you're right. Like I really need to figure out who my ideal customer is and I need to figure out how to reach them. Right. It's like the number one problem everyone has in SaaS. (laughs) I think that, you know, people talk a lot about having the ideal customer and, I think that almost like starting out, that kind of puts pressure on ourselves to find the ideal customer. And when Mm -hmm. you're starting out, if you can just find a customer (laughs) that will reliably pay you every month, like let's start there. Like we don't have to find like the, you know, the perfect customer, you know, going back to what we were talking about, like the business books and stuff about customer research, right? Like there are so many great books that go through all of these ways to diagram you know, who, like, who is the customer and who are the other stakeholders involved? And like, what is the whole, um, you know, process they go through to like accomplish a job and like all of like, and it's so great and it's so robust. But like when you're a one person company, you're like, yeah, that's great. But like, that's not like, <laughs> like, yeah, I don't, I don't have, not- you know, I don't have six months to just do a research project about this. Like right. I need stuff now and I need people paying me now and so i think using whatever insights you can get from people and and i like the guy you said who churned did he was that over email or did you get a chance to actually talk to him that was over email okay do you think maybe you could see if you could get him to talk to you i will i think you know as we've discussed before and i believe you addressed in your newsletter Finding people is hard, like getting people when you, I mean, again, I have what, 12 paying customers. So getting people to talk to me is hard. Now, when I had the free plan, I had 120 customers and I had a much better success rate. But the thing about the people I spoke with that were on the free plan is they were people who would never pay for this service anyway. So, Mm -hmm. you know, I don't want to reintroduce the free plan just to get more people, Um, but yeah, I am, I am struggling getting people like willing to take that time. So with people who have churned, um, I find that offering an incentive is critical in the same way with, with people who, um, aren't a user yet. Like I remember when you did, you had your, yes, um, the Amazon childcare idea, you, you Mm -hmm. gave people gift cards. And I think like that is absolutely critical um when you're trying to talk to someone who's churned it's like because like you know they signed up for your product hoping it would do something and then it didn't do that or it wasn't a fit for them and so like there's an amount of disappointment there that is difficult to overcome and this i mean this is kind of what i tend to say that churned or like former customer interviews are like expert level of interviews because there's so much more negative emotion there than there would be with someone who's just signed up or someone who has never even used your product. Um, But I think if you offer them like $25 Amazon gift card and you're like, hey, like I know it didn't work out. Like I understand. And I would just love to hear more about like, just like what it is you're doing in general. And just, just so I can just understand that better. And then kind of like framing it from a perspective of, so that we can make sure that nobody else has the experience that you had. Yeah. it's del- like it's delicate and a lot of people will say no um but i find if you frame it from that perspective of like here's a way for you to help somebody else not go through this 
um and here's $25 to Amazon. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> um, you know, you combine altruism with, with straight up self-interest, like yeah. that is the highest likelihood to get through. But like, um, they're, they're, they can just be really delicate, but I think that would be valuable to figure out of like, okay, like this, this kind of use case is not my customer. Yes. That's a great idea. Yeah. I'll do that. Um, cause I do, I do need to know, um, why, you know, why those people signed up, added files and then bounced like that would definitely be helpful. Yeah. And it may not be something, anything about your product or the functionality of it. Right. It may be that, you know, your marketing somehow grabbed them and maybe you need to tweak it so that you, you don't grab more people like them. Right. 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 I can target Speaking the of marketing. People. Yes. How's your, how's your hundred days of marketing going? <laughs> terrible <laughs> really I just I just is have, it still going well no I'm, I'm not I'm gonna still do it if it takes me a whole year but um <laughs> I I mean I had I had thought that I could organize my day in such a way where I could do an hour of marketing a day and I have found that to be really challenging when I'm working on deeply technical projects because it's like a context switch. Like I've been trying to start my day with the marketing hour, but then like you're almost done, but then you stop to go work on your other project. I'd almost rather, I'm thinking I might try and reorganize my time. So I'm doing one full day on simple file upload, marketing stuff, and then can just do my other work the other days. Um, and, and I think we talked about last week, but just like some of the stuff that shouldn't be so hard, like the terms and conditions and the privacy policy and the GDPR policy, you're just like, geez, this is a lot of stuff. I mean, it kind of makes sense that you would, yeah. like it takes, you know, the context switching, like that is hard. And then you sort of like, I feel like I can hear that you sort of like, you have to like work yourself up to to work on this like it's not something you're looking forward to and then you finally get into it and then you're almost done with something and then it's time to switch that's exactly what it's like really frustrating it is that's exactly what it's like because you're right I don't I mean who loves reading privacy policies no one so maybe you do you love reading privacy policies (laughs) no (laughs) I mean privacy lawyers might right like users definitely do Um, so Um, I think that you're absolutely right. That's what it's like. Like, I love the idea of committing a little bit of time each day to it. And and that keeps it top of mind, which is great and lets it not fall on the back burner. But you're absolutely right. Cause it's like, I try to do my hour and then I'm like 80% done. And then I got to switch to do like my, my consulting work. And then the next, and so it just feels like I can never quite get it, whatever I'm working on over the finish line. Um, so yeah, I think maybe, maybe hopefully this week, at least I can organize my week in such a way that I get a whole day to work on it. And then I can just knock out all this stuff I've been wanting to do. Cause I've wanted wanting to do, you know, uh, that, uh, terms and conditions and all that, get that up. And I want to do an FAQ cause I love FAQs and there's some questions I keep getting asked that clearly I'm not communicating effectively enough. So, you know, I want to get stuff like that done. Do you, as a user, you like FAQs? Yes, I love FAQs. That's like my first oh. thing as a developer. That's like the first thing. I don't. I usually go there before I read your docs. I love them. Whoa, that's fascinating. <laughs> is it? Is that weird? <laughs> yeah, because oh, that's fascinating. That's because I want to see where the problems are gonna arise before I even jump into your thing. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah, it's like my favorite thing. <laughs> so I want to put it on my website. So I wonder, like, I mean, it sounds like you, you, 
like this is a new skill for you and it and it's just more mentally tiring to do new skills yeah than it is things we're familiar with and i wonder if having a whole day like knowing that you have a whole day of it like could could also like feed into that dread of it a little bit if you know you have to spend a whole day on it and i like i almost wonder if you're saying like an hour is not enough if you do like like our our pomodoros are like are they 45 minutes or 90 minutes i forget i mean you can do them however you want yeah but like i mean maybe just trying with like 90 90 minutes minutes. and see like because if you if you like you know say okay fridays are marketing day and then you spend the whole week being like oh my god i have to spend like friday doing marketing uh, like <laughs> I could see that like not like you know I think it's I worth see, experimenting I see what you're with. saying yeah I gotta experiment with it I have found that an hour is too short that's what I have discovered so I need to find kind of that optimal period of time where I can feel like you know like many people I like to finish something so the optimal period of time where I can finish these tasks um but yeah you don't want it I mean I don't dread it but it, it is a new skill set and it's, it's kind of nebulous and you don't really know it's going to work. And so I have a list of all these ideas of things I would do given infinite time, but obviously I can't do them all. Um, so yeah, I like, I like the 90 minute, maybe try 90 minutes and, and see if that's more effective. Cause I think it, it, it helps to time block it. Like, yeah, to, it does. Cause then you you're know, only like, signing yourself for an hour or 90 minutes of this, uh, struggle. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I like that idea. So tell me about your newsletter. I love getting your newsletter. I think I've gotten two now. Um, so I I launched it last week, I think. Yeah, it's brand new. Um, and uh, I'm actually just writing it for myself, um, which seems kind of funny. But so I find, you know, I talk to people who are starting or uh, running businesses pretty often. And I find myself giving the same advice over and over again and also saying the same things about the resources I send people. Like as we mentioned earlier, being like, this book is really great, but like bear in mind like X, Y, and Z and like this isn't going to apply and like, but the concepts here are good and like, and then there's this blog post and then I really like this podcast, like and then here's this thing over here and it's like, it feels very disjointed, but I also hear myself saying the same things over and over again. And so I'm basically writing it to sort of have this like virtual library for myself and just kind of get everything out of my head and onto, you know, quote unquote paper. Um, just, just so that I have this one like consolidated place to send people. Very cool. I like it. It's been really fun. Good. <laughs> it's definitely like productive procrastination for me productive procrastination I love that yeah Yeah, like when I should be doing my SEO work I'm like let me just just write this article really fast like and um no but it's it's been so fun and and you know I I so I was like I was having a call uh with an entrepreneur a couple of weeks ago and I was you know thinking about like I was like there's all this stuff that I say every time and I don't have a, like, I don't have one book I can like send people that is like relevant to the, the bootstrap experience. Right. Um, of trying to understand your customers. And I was like, you know, it's like, should I write a book? Like, and it was like, oh my God. Like, I think everybody I know who has ever written a book has said like, don't. <laughs> um, or, you know, has, has, you know, 
had had some warnings there and uh and so I was like you know what I, I think signing up for kind of what you know we were saying about like signing up for a whole day of marketing feels a little bit daunting like yeah the idea of signing myself to write a whole book and like doing so kind of on my own uh for you know six months or or whatever that is um that feels like very daunting and not fun to me but this is just this has just been fun and but yeah I think there's like five issues out now and kind of the idea is like pulling together a lot of these scripts we talked about so like talking to someone who's a happy customer versus somebody who has just started using your product and trying to figure out why they are using it versus people who have churned versus kind of like keywords and phrases and and stuff and sort of also kind of writing that for the um like I find that a lot of UX books like don't go into super nitty gritty detail on what you actually say in an interview. Um, and so, you know, kind of writing it from the perspective of someone who might find this difficult or daunting um, to give them everything they need to get started. Maybe, maybe that's a good point to end on this week. Um, you can get, uh, actually just go to my Twitter and then there's, there's a link to it there. But yeah, the newsletter is free and it comes out whenever I want to publish it, which I think has been like three times this week. I have two things scheduled already for next week. Um, yeah, we'll, we'll talk to you next week. This has been Software Social and you can find us at Software Social Pod and we absolutely love it when you tweet at us um, with what you thought of an episode um so thanks so much for doing that huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show chris from chipper ci the daringly handsome kevin griffin and mike from gently used domains who has a nice personality dave from recut max of online or not stefan from talk to stefan brendan andrade of bright bits team tuple alex hillman from the tiny mba rami from Hovercode and rocket gems Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outseta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh the Annoyingly Pragmatic Founder, Ben from ConsentKit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Works Cited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, Larabels, a community for Larabelle developers underrepresented due to their gender, Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.page, Lynn Romick from Convini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from Recruit Kit.